rules we grew up with were never meant for us. It's time for a change. Welcome to Becoming Wild. This podcast will support you in untethering from conditioning, examining limiting beliefs around womanhood and value, and tapping into your innate power. Because when women embody our truest, wildest selves, we change much more than our own lives. We change the world. Welcome to Becoming Wild. I'm your host, Emma Whittard, and I'm coming to you today from Pasadena, California. I'm so excited to share this first episode with you. I've been busy learning to edit and produce. I've learned lots of new skills creating this podcast. I wouldn't say I'm particularly good at any of them, but I'm working on it. So thank you for being here with me today for my shitty first try, as Brene Brown would call it. And I hope you'll find the content is worth putting up with the rather amateur production. So what is becoming wild? Well, it's actually an idea. If you're listening to this, then you probably already know that I'm a transformational coach. I spend my days working with people, mainly those who identify as women, who are working towards a goal, and often we work on the things that are blocking them from achieving that goal. Most of the time, those things are what we call limiting beliefs. Beliefs that they hold, often formed in childhood, that are no longer serving them. For women, these beliefs tend to be given to them by their families and society and they hold them back from being their true selves. This is conditioning. And for women, the messaging we are given at a societal level was developed systemically to tame us, to keep us in line. So the coaching process helps people to strip away the messaging and gives women the freedom to act authentically and powerfully. And what do we remember that we are when we strip away the taming of conditioning? We remember that we're wild. So this podcast will follow a single client through my six-month one-to-one coaching program, Becoming Wild. And it's my hope that as you listen along to the deconditioning process, you too will become a little bit wilder. The questions I ask my client are things that you can ask yourself as well. And I'll include prompts for you in the show notes. Powerful questions that will support you in doing this work on your own. The program is two sessions per month and each month we tackle a different theme. This month's theme is unlearning. So you will get two episodes on the theme of unlearning and then an interview with a wild woman, episode three. Someone who is a great example of having done their deconditioning work and living authentically. So today I'll be introducing you to my client, Lou. It's our first session together. 
and will spend it reviewing where she is in her life to date and begin to uncover some of the things she would like to unlearn in order to achieve her goal. We'll talk about unlearning the messaging around productivity in the workplace, unlearning around what a woman should be, and a few other things. But first, let's see what wild questions have arrived in my inbox today. Jay writes, Dear Emma, can you help me? I landed my dream job, dream title, extraordinary salary. Finally, I felt like I was worthy. After working for 20 years in an industry I loved but never quite felt accomplished, I was home. Well, not so fast. After working really well, really hard, working through holidays, working 12 to 16 hours a day, stressing and achieving actual results, my boss wrote up a salacious, libelous report. He documented problems that were created by others, many of which I had to step in and fix as they were happening. Rather than go on and on, I'll cut to the chase. I was fired, thankfully. But of course, my already tenuous self-esteem plummeted. I guess my question is, how do I disconnect my value from my work? I didn't even look for work after that experience. Instead, I completely changed my life. But that's another story. I find myself descending into all that self-doubt and self-hatred. I guess my question is, other than finding my self-worth, how do I disconnect my identity from my work? First of all, Jay, I am so sorry that you've been through this. So many of us do really consider our jobs to be our identity and... Our self-worth is so wrapped up in what we do. Society tells us that we are what we do. But it's not true. And that, that is the key to decoupling from, from this experience is to really strip things back to your values. You know, what do you care about? Who are you as a person? What are the things that you value in your life? And think about the way that you behaved in this job. For example, if your values are authenticity, accountability, trustworthiness, did you actually act in accordance and in alignment with your values in this job? And remember the things that you can control, what you believe, what you think, what you feel and what you do. If you strip back to actually the things that you can control, did you do those things? If you did, then you really have nothing to beat yourself up about. I suggest that you spend a little bit of time sitting with your values, 
If you don't already know what they are, spend some time figuring out what they are, what's important to you, what matters to you in life, outside of your roles and responsibilities. What characteristics are most important to you? Define them. Think about what somebody who has those characteristics would actually do. And then hold yourself accountable. Have you actually acted in accordance with your values? And if you have, then try to let go of the other things. What somebody else thinks of you is really generally feedback about them rather than you. And if you haven't acted in accordance with your values, have a think about why not? That's feedback as well. That's feedback for you, about you. What has stopped you acting in accordance with your values? I hope this has given you some food for thought. You know where I am. I'd love to hear from you again. So just please write back if you'd like some more clarification on this. Okay, sending you lots of love. So now on to my first coaching session with my client. Let's dive in. Good morning, Lou. So thank you so much for filling in the intake form. I know it is a beast. <laughs> yeah. Such a beast that we call it the beast. In a good way, though, I think. <laughs> okay. So let's start with our goal. I know I have an underlying goal with Becoming Wild, which is to help you decouple from the conditioning that we all get. And we have a specific goal that's come from you, which is what's happening for you this year. So leaving your corporate job and moving into building your coaching business. So can you tell me a little bit more about your goal? Yeah. I have been working this particular corporate job at this particular company for 22 years and it's been a great job there have been you know a lot of years of really wonderful purposeful fulfilling work supporting a team of really creative people the company has changed a lot and I've changed a lot. And I think what's happening is as I become more myself as a woman, especially, I am realizing things about corporate structure and how it upholds more of the same in terms of the the patriarchy and the the hierarchy and the old ways of being and living 
And I just am feeling more and more the need to move away from it. It doesn't align with my own values. And so a couple years ago when I started wanting to get good at coaching and then start my own coaching business, I've been learning so much about myself through the process of learning how to be a coach that I've just realized I can't really live in this structure anymore. So I went into this year saying this is my year to build my foundation Mm -hmm. so that I can leave and build the foundation of a new life and a new business so that I can leave the day job and move into this other work work that is by me, for me, in a way that is determined by me. I'm not told Mm -hmm. by other people what to do or how to do it or what's good or what's not good. So I'm hopeful that by the end of the year, I will be able to leave the corporate job, but I'm also realizing that it takes time and reminding myself this is my year to build my foundation Mm -hmm. and so if it doesn't happen this year I'm still building towards that right okay so you said in your intake form that the big challenge or possibly a big challenge is letting go of the corporate brainwashing (laughs) yeah so tell me about that 22 years of critique of projects that just leads to feeling like no matter how hard I work, it's never enough. And Mm. I'm a really hard worker. And so to feel that is hard and, and to now have more understanding of, oh, I'm probably just doing that to myself. Yes, a manager will can have that kind of attitude, but it's still up to me to find that enoughness and worthiness. Yeah, and I think it's fair to it's fair to say that most corporate environments want always want more, which is one of the ways that they're so unhealthy. And I have seen a lot of clients take that sense that they have to work all the time into their own businesses. I'm really hoping to not do that. I mean, I'm (laughs) trying to change that in my day job too. I don't work all the time. I think it helps when you know that you want to do something else. It becomes easier to put those boundaries in. And ideally, I mean, this is the beauty of working for yourself, this idea that you can have balance. That exercise, I think it was a workshop that you did early in the year around vision. Mm -hmm. And there was one point when you were like, okay, what do you want to be doing with your week? And how many hours a week do you want to be spending on those things? Exercise Mm -hmm. or your passions or your work. That was an illuminating exercise for me. Good. Because... There are various ways you can go with working for yourself. You can work yourself into the ground or you can take the opportunity 
to rebalance your life in a way that suits you. This whole nine to five thing is just arbitrary. They did studies and it when during the Industrial Revolution, and that was mm-hmm. how they could get the most work out of people was to have mm-hmm. these 40 hour work weeks. It mm. was like the sweet spot of the most work and efficiency with how much time they needed to rest and recover to be able to have their best output. Wow. And, you know, that was what, 100 years ago? Go. And we were yeah. doing a very different type of work. I really do believe that actually don't really need very much time to do the real work that we need to do. You did identify that you got some beliefs about working and money from your mum mm-hmm. and your stepdad that might not be so helpful for you going forward. Oh. <clears throat> Let's talk yeah. about that for a moment. Yeah, my stepdad was definitely a workaholic. And he was really good at what he did. He was a contractor and carpenter. But it wasn't like he didn't come home from work, like, enjoying it Mm. that he talked about, really. And as a business owner, I think he didn't value himself enough to charge enough and my mom didn't work and didn't have a career didn't have a college degree Mm. which created in me a like I've got to be able to take care of myself I've got to have Mm -hmm. the degree the career the drive and I created this responsibility for myself based on that and I think over the last couple of years I've been learning how to move out of especially the the workaholic piece and valuing myself and my work at a high level how about beliefs around money in terms of deserving to have money deserving to have potentially more money than you need I think they're pretty good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> <All> good. <laughs> that makes it much easier mm-hmm. to get it if yeah. you don't have negative associations with it. Yeah. My husband doesn't share those beliefs. He's okay. pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of like deserving it and wanting it and having it okay. and experiencing it. Do you have any concern that if you make more money, it will alienate him? No, because I've always made more money and I've always been the main breadwinner. I manage our money. I mean, if I've made a lot of money, if my business makes more money than I'm making now in my corporate job, there will be conversations between Mm. us, I think. Mm. Well, so long as you there's no upper limit there for you around I must not earn x because it could threaten my relationship if that's not a factor then great 
I don't think it is, but I just, I like that question in general, the upper limit mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to be mulling that over for some time now, I think. <laughs> yes. The upper I'll limits. Med- I'll meditate on it. <laughs> yeah. I'm very interested in women having money and what happens when women have more mm-hmm. than enough money. Yeah. We're still in a situation where most of the money in the world is is controlled by men, which means it's being used for things that mean more to men. Okay, so you talked about the reason why you've been where you have been about safety I've been keeping myself and my family safe for a long time so talk to me about safety and your definition of safety in this context it's having a house and cars and be able to do the sports and different activities that the kids want to do and just living the kind of American dream, I guess. (laughs) I feel like my family had a lot of instability because my parents didn't have college degrees, didn't have lucrative traditional careers. And so we were never in danger of losing our home, but it just always felt like we didn't have enough. Now that I'm saying it, I'm thinking like, oh, I also felt some physical and emotional lack of safety when I was a child. And so I wonder if next to a limited income, I created this belief about safety. Mm-hmm. What is the belief? That it's having a comfortable, safe home. I think we've focused on giving the kids what feels like a safe home, which means they can be themselves and ask for what they want. We've prioritized that above saving and living a more modest I mean we don't live an immodest life but there's definitely people who could live more modestly than we do I guess it's interesting because I think when I wrote that I wasn't thinking about emotional safety Mm -hmm. but clearly that I have uh, connected the emotional safety in the home to just having, you know, having a home, having your physical needs met. Yeah. So would you say currently you feel safe? Emotionally, yes. Mm -hmm. Physical environment, emotionally, about my physical environment, I would say borderline. I'm I'm like kind of you one of the questions in in there was so much about what do I think about and I I really struggled with that, but right now mm. I'm realizing 
I think a lot about the things around me that are falling apart, the things in my house that need to be fixed. And so I think thinking about that a lot contributes probably to a feeling lack of safety Mm. subconsciously. It's not something I'm conscious of. Yeah. Okay. And when you think about starting a business, you know, Mm. this, this entrepreneurial life versus corporate life, how does the need for safety currently interplay with that idea? I mean, that's probably the biggest hurdle for me. I need this change bad enough that I'm not going to let it, let my need for safety hold me back from doing it, but it will be a significant stressor. Yeah. I mean, I can speak as somebody who, who was in this corporate world and is now, you know, an entrepreneur and safety is my biggest driver. And there's a factor There's a positive safety factor attached to the fact that I'm more in control, really, of my of my financial outcome than I am when I'm employed by somebody else. I know that my income stream is not going to end tomorrow, whereas in a corporate job it could with like two weeks' notice. But there is a level of uncertainty to it that's taken some getting used to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had that kind of, it felt like a revelation. I don't know, in the last six to nine months of, of like, Oh, maybe it's more safe to be relying on myself mm-hmm. for yeah. my paycheck yeah. than it is to be relying on somebody else. Like, duh, of course it is more safe Mm -hmm. to rely on myself even Mm -hmm. it because I can make so many more choices it doesn't it's not that I'm relying on the business to make money I'm relying on myself to make Mm -hmm. money and that could Mm -hmm. be in so many different ways exactly and you know you have your best interests at heart right yeah you're not going to suddenly restructure without telling yourself (laughs) I came to that conclusion as well that I really was my best form of safety okay great so once you have freed yourself from all the stories that corporate life has gifted you (laughs) (laughs) And the stories that we all get from our childhood and from our parents, etc. When you truly believe that you are your own safety, when your self-belief is in a great place, when you know you can succeed, make enough money, support yourself and your family, the question I asked was, how will it feel? And you said, I won't doubt myself. I'll be lighter and free to, freer to be me, to do me. I'll believe in myself. 
and be able to make decisions without anyone's permission. Where do you currently doubt yourself? I doubt my motivation and my discipline. Okay, stay there for a second. Okay. You doubt your motivation and your discipline. In what areas of life? In work. Okay. And in, like, household. Mm-hmm. Just not not getting shit done. Like, mm-hmm. I think I, quote-unquote, should. Yes. I should is not a word that I use verbally mm-hmm. but I think it's in my I think it's in my head a lot yeah yeah okay so so in this context in this context of self-doubt you doubt yourself and I'm paraphrasing a little bit here okay. but you doubt yourself because you're not doing perhaps exactly what you feel you should be doing around work and household. Mm -hmm. So if you believe for a second that you always have a good reason for not doing something, (laughs) what's your really good reason for not doing the things you quote unquote should be doing at work and in the household? What are the, what are the really good reasons for not doing those things? They are spending time with my family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they are taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. They are doing creative projects and activities. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So those sound to me like value-based activities. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, great. So so as we get into this work together, we'll talk a lot about how you talk to yourself. Okay. And I'll talk about not making yourself wrong. Okay. So another way to frame this, I doubt my motivation and discipline. If you, if you recognize that this is a decision, right? There are some shoulds around work and household mm-hmm. and you can't do everything all of the time. Right. So you have prioritized value-based activities. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me and how I feel about how I want to live my life. Yeah. So using you as your own benchmark, are you doing are you doing the right thing in these areas? In the values-based areas or in the I know the answer should be yes, but I don't know that I believe that. Great. <laughs> What's stopping you believe that believing that? My uh my like need to be productive. Mm. 
And where's that come from? Probably my need for safety. Could be. Okay. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, as as a, a kid, I wasn't really like I had a lot of chores and when I didn't have chores, my mom was coming up with really fun, great activities. Um, but there wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't valued to rest and relax in my mm-hmm. family. Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a value on productivity. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it came from my stepdad and I think it damaged my mom also. I think it was really mm-hmm. hard for her. Mm-hmm. So would you like so then knowing that you have a belief, an inherited belief around productivity and safety? Yeah. That's stopping you entirely valuing your your values based decisions. Mm-hmm. Would you like a new belief around productivity and safety? Yes. What would you like it to be? <sighs> that just feels so far away. Just like. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to get shit done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I don't know how you, you get shit done if you're not valuing productivity. Mm, great. I'm hearing some real resistance to this. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling it. <laughs> I'm really feeling okay. it. So, so let's. I mean, I I want to say like I just want to value my values, and I want to, you know, let things unfold as they unfold, and it's not, you know, I don't need to push so hard, and but you know, there's a there's a list of shit that needs to get done, and. If I don't yeah. sit down, if I don't sit down and get it done, it's not going to get done. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's the belief to change is that if I don't do it, it won't get done. Yeah. And then the following belief that if it doesn't get done, you know, the like everything's going to fall apart if I don't, mm-hmm. if I don't do all the things. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Great. There's something here around trust, perhaps. Yes, I can see that. Trusting that maybe it's more allowing, allowing for things to unfold as in their own time Mm -hmm. and trusting that things will be taken care of when they need to be taken care of. Awesome. Yeah. Trusting that things will be taken care of when they need to be. But how do they get taken care of if I don't do it? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think when they need to be. Yeah. Is an important phrase. 
Yeah. The yeah. benefit of not forcing, you know, okay, I'm going to go through my list and I'm going to do all these things is I ha- have found that if I don't do that and if I allow things to, to unfold or to happen in their own time, the things that need to happen are a lot simpler than yes. they would be if I engineered them myself. I think yes. I complicate things. Yeah, I think we often do, particularly when we push to do something that we actually don't want to do or other people don't want to do, or maybe it's just not the right time. Yeah. You know, even simple things like occasionally I will get, it was last year I was getting particularly bad writer's block. Mm. And I would think, okay, I need to write my newsletter. And I would be completely unable to do it. And if I forced it, I would have sat there for three hours just forcing, forcing sentences out. Yeah. So what I started to do was go to bed. (laughs) Go and have a nap. (laughs) Literally, this was my solution. Go and have a nap. And then I found when I came back from my nap, it just flowed. Nice. So I could have sat there getting shit done, taking three hours to do it, or I could have gone and taken a one-hour nap and then banged it out in half an hour. Never told that the efficient way to do things is to go and have a nap. (laughs) (laughs) But in my experience, particularly over 50, it is often the solution. (laughs) (sighs) But there's some trust there, right? Because you're taking so-called productivity time and you're using it to literally do the opposite yeah trusting that you'll be able to do the thing that you need to do afterwards yeah 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 so when you don't do something I will often have a list of things to do and I will notice at some point that I'm not doing something And once I put it off a couple of times, instead of what I used to do, which is beat myself up and say, why haven't you done that? You should have done it by now. I say to myself, oh, that's interesting. I haven't done that thing. I wonder what the reason is that I haven't done it. And if you put it to yourself that way, there is generally a good reason that you haven't done the thing. Then you look at that reason. I'm thinking about like, for example, my daughter needs a new phone and I just have been putting it off and putting it off. And my reason is that I know it's going to take a lot of time and it's not going to be easy. When I come at it like that, of like really thinking about that reason of just, it's going to take time. I'm like, oh, well, okay. So maybe I could block some time on my calendar and just, yeah then it's going to be okay to take that time to do it. Exactly. You had a good reason. And and because until we actually look at the reason, we can't address it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Because we are becoming wild, (laughs) I'm going to ask you a specific question about what the messaging was that you got as a child about being a girl. Okay. 
because as we go through this program, I think more and more we'll notice how this messaging affects the way that we operate on a day-to-day basis. So the question was, and you answered it in the intake form, is as a child, what did you learn was valuable about being a girl? You said, I learned it was valuable to look pretty and be smart, to take care of people, to not put myself first. So tell me a little bit about how having learnt those things, how those things continue to be present in your life today. I definitely notice a concern that people will or won't like me based on my looks. I get really defensive about being treated like I'm not smart. It just gets my hackles up. What else did I say? To take care of people, to not put myself first. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what we do as Mm -hmm. wives and mothers. So, I mean, that's definitely the role that I play I think I've I've kind of done double taking care of my family, my kids, because I'm the main money earner and I'm mm, more emotionally stable. (laughs) At least I think I am. I'm trying so hard to just internally put my needs at the top I'll rearrange my needs and then in the end feel like oh shit I didn't get to do xyz that I really wanted to do today because I had to drive a kid here there and everywhere it's the work that I've taken on also my day job is taking care of a large number of people. I don't manage them, I but I take care of the health and well-being of them. So yeah, I, I've done my fair share of caretaking and responsibility is something that is really important to me. It was definitely something that my mom instilled in me. I learned the importance of being responsible very well. <laughs> and I see it as a strength, but... Mm-hmm. I do also know that I can overdo it and Mm. hold on to it way too much and put a much bigger burden on myself than needs to be. And it sounds like we we might want to look at that. We will be focusing on boundaries a little bit later down the line. And, you know, I think a couple of things. One, if saying yes to things is making you feel resentful that is a very big clue to put a boundary in place and then as Byron Katie teaches us we are only responsible for the things that we can control so being very clear about what those things are your your beliefs your emotions and your actions as opposed to anybody else's it can help to decouple 
from other people's stuff and keep our focus on what we can control. As a coach, and I'll tell you, I had no idea that full-time coaching would put such a spotlight on my own self-care, but it's it's much more essential now. If I'm not well-resourced as a coach, I'm not a very good coach. I think that's part of the foundation that I want to build too is because I I just noticed that I and I think other people tend to like wait for self-care until mm. they're, you know, oh, I'm not feeling well, so I should go take care of myself. Mm. Uh, and I think I would, as part of my foundation, I would really like to have that built in in advance. These are the yeah. things that I do. These are the, you know, no, this never gets prioritized out that every morning I'm on the yoga mat and meditating and, you know. Yeah, because again, as an entrepreneur, if you don't look after yourself, you will get sick. And not being able to work when you work for yourself and you're not getting paid for sick days yeah. is yeah. a much bigger deal. Yeah. So getting in front of all of these things so that you don't get sick is really important. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. I can't believe that we're, <laughs> we've had time already. What are you going to take away from this session? Um, I, That piece about productivity, I think really is, is standing out allowing and trusting, accepting, and just excitement to keep digging in. That's it for the show. Huge thanks to my client Lou for her willingness to share her session with all of you. Becoming Wild is a podcast written and produced by me, Emma Whittard. Special thanks go to Andrea Leader Wilborn and Jill Smolin. You can get more information about the show and other ways to experience my work at www.emmawittard.com. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us lots of stars. It will make a huge difference to the discoverability of the podcast. If you'd like more direct coaching from me, please consider joining my Wild Woman community where I post new content every week and coach in the comments and we have live coaching sessions every Friday or contact me to explore one-to-one -one coaching. Thank you for listening. You matter. What you do matters. And when a woman truly knows that, she changes the world. See you next time on Becoming Wild.